from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The bigger issue is that a number of physicians have started to prescribe hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to treat COVID, even though there's no evidence to support the idea that those are effective. What this law would do is it would prevent pharmacists from questioning the physician or the patient. We really hold each other accountable to provide evidence-based care, equitable care, and safe treatments. The difference between this new law and the older morning-after pill law is the latter allows a pharmacist to enforce their personal moral views in contradiction to medical needs and advice. And the former prevents pharmacists from caring for a patient's medical need. I think it's a slap in the face to pharmacists who have been so critical to keeping us safe during COVID. I'm Sarah Fenske. In their most recent session, Missouri lawmakers failed to gain approval for some pet pieces of legislation. That includes an attempt to keep trans girls from women's sports teams and efforts to crack down on schools that teach critical race theory. But they did manage to pass a bill that would restrict pharmacists. That was House Bill 2149. And joining us today to discuss what that bill would do and why that could be a problem is Liz Chiarello. She is an associate professor of sociology and anthropology at St. Louis University, and she studies the work of pharmacists. So, Liz, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So set the stage for us here. If Governor Mike Parson signs House Bill 2149, and it seems likely that he is going to sign this bill, what would it do? It does a couple of things. It removes a number of critical safeguards uh, that keep patients safe and healthy. So... um, The bigger issue is that a number of physicians have started to prescribe hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin uh, to treat COVID, even though there's no evidence to support the idea that those are are effective. And so what what this law would do is it would prevent pharmacists from questioning the physician or the patient about taking these medications or expressing their concerns. It prevents the Board of Pharmacy and the Board of Medicine from disciplining physicians and pharmacists who provide this medication. And it prevents patients from going after these providers in civil court. So those are the three safeguards that this bill takes away. Wow. And so these are two drugs um, that nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, so many of us had not heard about three years ago. They kind of became political flashpoints. Is this what put them um, in the arena for Missouri lawmakers? I believe it did. And it's important to know that the the issue here, these are both FDA-approved drugs, so they have specific purposes. They just haven't been shown to be effective for COVID. And off-label label prescribing is actually very common. Um, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality says that it happens in about 20% of prescriptions. So it's actually something physicians do a lot. Um, and at At the moment with COVID where we really didn't know what was going to work and the vaccines weren't available, it seemed reasonable that a number of different drugs could have been used to treat COVID or to prevent COVID. But now we have a lot more information about those two medications that show that not only are they not effective for COVID, but that they can actually be harmful. And so this is saying doctors who want to prescribe these drugs, they can just go for it. And if people want to question them, if that person is a pharmacist, they could end up in some trouble over this. Yes, exactly. And I think what this really shows is a real um, 
a real misunderstanding of pharmacists' jobs. So pharmacists are responsible for safeguarding patient health, and they serve as a critical check and balance for physicians um, who make medical mistakes. Sure. They prescribe the wrong medication. They prescribe medications that are going to interact. They prescribe the wrong volume. And pharmacists are there as a safeguard. And so to remove the pharmacist, I think, is to remove critical professional expertise that helps to keep patients safe. So something that is not this politically fraught, say a pharmacist gets a a prescription for something and they're, you know, the patient comes in, they're trying to fill this prescription. The pharmacist has a sense that maybe this doesn't make sense for what the patient might be suffering from. Is that a moment where the pharmacist is is meant to ask some questions? Yes. Legally, ethically, professionally, pharmacists should be asking those kinds of questions. It's a big part of their profession. And particularly when it comes to controlled substances, things like opioids, pharmacists are obligated to make sure that those drugs are being used for a legitimate medical purpose. So it's actually woven into the law and into pharmacy profession um, that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And so it's very strange to remove it, to excise it around a particular set of drugs. So our producer, Emily Woodbury, talked to Kelly Gable. She's a psychiatrist psychiatric pharmacist. Uh, She is a school of uh, pharmacy professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, and she's also a clinician at a federally qualified health center in St. Louis. She said she's concerned about the way this bill restricts pharmacists from being able to educate their patients. A pharmacist, um, that's what they're trained to do is look at the evidence, um, look at evidence-based medicine and make sure that people are getting safe and effective treatments. Um, from an educator perspective, you know, I, my heart is really driven in training future pharmacists to critically review all medications, looking at safety, efficacy, and clinical utility of the drug. And so I just can't imagine um, the students that I train going out into the world and feeling like there's a restriction on what they're able to provide. So that is Kelly Gable of Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. She's a school of pharmacy professor. She's also a pharmacist herself, and she says that pharmacists are a crucial part of a collaborative healthcare team. Our collaborative care is with physicians, with nurses, with social workers, and we we really provide the best care when we work together. And I know I can speak from personal experience. The physicians that I work with, they have an expectation that if I am noticing a, a concern about a medication, that I reach out to them, that I that I share that. And I think as a team, we really hold each other accountable to provide evidence-based care, equitable care, and safe treatments. And that is Kelly Gable of SIUE. So hearing her remarks there, is that in line with how you hear pharmacists describe their jobs? Absolutely. I think pharmacists are really focused on patient safety and patient care. And pharmacy has changed a lot. You know, in the 1950s, pharmacists couldn't even tell patients what medications they were taking. And now pharmacists are obligated to counsel patients. And pharmacists are also our most accessible healthcare providers. And so, you know, you can see a pharmacist within five minutes. Walk into any pharmacy, you can see a pharmacist within five minutes. You can't do that with any other healthcare professional. So they end up doing a lot of this pro bono educational work that Kelly was talking about. And I think a a law like this is a real slap in the face to pharmacists who are doing all they can to keep patients safe during COVID. So this is not the first time that pharmacists have found themselves in the political crosshairs. Take us back to what happened in 2010. At this point, the controversy was over emergency contraception. We're talking about the Plan B pill. It had just received FDA approval. So how did pharmacists end up getting sucked into that? 
So that was actually a decade-long battle. Um, the first emergency contraceptive was approved in 1998, and uh, shortly afterwards, a lot of pharmacists stood up and said, "You know, I don't, I don't want to dispense this medication." Uh, they believed that it was an abortifacient, even though it's FDA approved as a contraceptive, and uh, they fought for what are called conscience clauses that allowed them to opt out of providing medications that they morally opposed. And so, uh, different states adopted different kinds of laws. Missouri adopted a law, I want to say in 2012, that allowed pharmacists to opt out of providing medications they morally opposed. And now we're seeing a flip, right? The same legislators who wanted pharmacists to make these moral decisions around reproductive health now don't want pharmacists to make medical decisions about COVID. And so there's a real disconnect there. Yeah, that's interesting to think about how everybody's kind of switched sides on this a little bit. Um, We actually have a caller who has a question about this. This is Harvey, who's calling from Chesterfield. Um, Harvey, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. It's an important topic. Uh, yeah, I was wondering what you just talked about. It seems that uh, if this law is passed, that pharmacists will no longer be able to refuse uh, dispensing the morning after pill. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a question here. So this previous controversy, we saw people saying, okay, they should be allowed to follow their conscience. Liz, I know you're not a lawyer, but it seems like now we're saying just the opposite. Is there a way that these two laws could coalesce? I believe that they can exist at the same time because they they clearly spell out specific types of medication and specific types of procedures. So the one that's about emergency contraception talks about reproductive health. The one that's about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin actually names those drugs. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that there's actually a conflict, but there is a conflict in terms of thinking about do we want our pharmacists to make moral decisions at the pharmacy counter, or do we want them to make medical decisions at the pharmacy counter? And I think that's where the tension lies. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting how they've come down on on different sides of this. Harvey, thank you for that question. There's also some, um, I guess there's some history of pharmacists coming under fire related to opioids. How did that end up playing out? So, um, One of the big problems with uh, the overdose crisis is that, you know, a lot of physicians were overprescribing, pharmacists were overdispensing. That's not so much the case now. Most people are dying from uh, from fentanyl and heroin. Um, But there was a time when prescription drugs were a major cause of overdose deaths. And uh, in 2013, uh, Walgreens reached a settlement, an $80 million settlement with the Department of Justice um, about their overprescribing or their overdispensing. And as a result, they came out with what they called a good faith dispensing program Hmm. that required pharmacists to call physicians and ask them things like, what's the patient's diagnosis? What's your course of treatment? What other things have you tried? That really gets into the clinical arena in a way that pharmacists previously had not. You can imagine physicians were really resistant to to that. They really felt like that was pharmacists practicing medicine. Um, But the pharmacists I've interviewed um, seem much more comfortable questioning physicians now than they have been in the past. And so I think this new law kind of ricochets them back in the other direction. But we're still grappling with this question about who do we think pharmacists are and what do we think they should do? And I think more importantly, do we want do we want politicians to be the ones who get to dictate 
what healthcare providers do and don't say to their patients. We're talking today to Liz Chiarello. She's an associate professor of sociology and anthropology at St. Louis University, has studied the role of pharmacists. And this role, it's interesting to think about how it's in flux. And we're talking about it today uh, because Missouri's House Bill 2149, that was passed by the legislature, it basically stops pharmacists from being able to question ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine tablets. These are two things that have not been approved uh, for treating COVID-19, and yet some physicians are prescribing them to treat COVID-19. This would open the door for pharmacists not being able to question that. So there has been this push and pull between pharmacists and other healthcare providers. Curb Your Enthusiasm explored this. This was 17 years ago that this episode aired, but we want you to witness this exchange between Larry David and his pharmacist. You know, there's another drug out on the market that I personally like a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. My patients are, they're a lot happier with the other drug. If you like, I could write it down for you. But the doctor prefers this one. Yes. I prefer the other one. But he likes this one. But I like that one. Doctor? Pharmacist. Doctor. Pharmacist. I'll go with the pharmacist. So that is from Curb Your Enthusiasm 17 years ago. And Liz, I can see you laughing at this. I I get the sense you're familiar with this episode. Oh, yes. I've seen it. I think about it all the time. (laughs) So thinking about 17 years ago when when this was on TV, um, I understand your thinking about all this has has shifted a little bit. I mean, when you first started looking at these issues involving pharmacists, what was your take on how involved pharmacists should be, whether they should push back on doctors? Well, initially, I was with Larry David. I thought, you know, who is a pharmacist? to question a physician's prescription. And I thought, to bring up another Larry David um, It's always appropriate on the show. Yes. Um, I thought what Jerry Seinfeld thinks, which is, you know, that pharmacist's entire job is to take pills from big bottles and put them into little bottles. Um, And I think I just, I I, I didn't know enough about pharmacy to respect it as a profession. And as I started looking at the emergency contraception case and interviewing anti-abortion pharmacists and abortion rights pharmacists and, um, and people who work for the Board of Pharmacy and started doing this research, I realized that actually pharmacists are these critical safeguards and they're incredibly important important for patient health and safety. Um, Over 200,000 people die each year from uh, medication error, Mm -hmm. and pharmacists are the ones who who help to prevent that. And so I really have come around. What do they say? There's no fervor like the fervor of a convert. That's me. I really have have come to see pharmacists as incredibly important. Yeah, and so you see an important role here, and it sounds like you do believe they should be using their judgment. They should be questioning. They should be questioning patients. They should be questioning doctors. There is no doubt that they should be using their medical expertise to make decisions about patient care. Should they be using their moral beliefs to make decisions? I think that's something that requires more of a discussion. But there is no question that they are healthcare providers with medical training. They know the drugs better than any other healthcare professional. And so they are in the best position to question uh, drugs that could, could go really wrong for patients. So what do you see as the consequences if Governor Parson does sign this into law, this becomes state law in Missouri? 
I think it will have a chilling effect on pharmacists' uh, decision-making. Um, I think it's a slap in the face to pharmacists who have been so critical to keeping us safe during COVID. And I think it's a slippery slope. It really opens up the opportunity to carve out medications that we do and don't like and allowing these shifting political winds to, to affect the kinds of care that we receive as patients. And the bottom line is that patient harm is no one's victory. Um, and so I don't think it's useful to have pharmacists bandied about like a political football. So earlier we heard from Kelly Gable of SIUE, um, and she told our producer, Emily Woodbury, um, something that you also mentioned. So many people pivoted to Zoom. These pharmacists were still in person, like they were there giving us what we needed throughout this pandemic. She says she hopes we have more appreciation for the work of pharmacists. I don't want the public to forget how amazing your local pharmacist is with the wisdom that they have, with the compassion that they have for, for individual patient care and needs, but also recognizing that they are, they're exhausted as well. They have, um, they have worked tirelessly uh, through this pandemic. And so to find that balance, I mean, this bill in particular, it just feels, um, it's, it's really hard to digest because um, we're out here doing work because we genuinely care for the public. And um, to, to kind of have these, um, these intentional restrictions, it just it doesn't um, match with, with our hope and our goal and the oath that we take um, as a pharmacist uh, to, to provide the best high quality information and medication knowledge and care. And that is Kelly Gable of SIUE. She is a pharmacy professor there. Uh, Liz Chiarello, your thoughts on, on what she expressed there? Um, I agree. I think pharmacists have been so critical during COVID, and they leapt in um, feet first at a time when we were experiencing so much uncertainty and so much fear. And who is the first person you go to when you're sick? Most people think it's the doctor. It's actually the pharmacist. Yeah. You show up at the pharmacy, you're looking for some over-the-counter medication. Maybe you chat with the pharmacist. And when you think about the fact that pharmacists have only been giving um, injections, the flu shot, for maybe 10 or 15 years, and the way they jumped in to provide the COVID vaccines. Um, they've just been doing an incredible job. And I do think um, this kind of bill is a real insult um, to the kind of heroic work they've been performing for the last couple of years. We also heard from John on Twitter. He tweets, the difference between this new law and the older morning after pill law is the latter allows a, a pharmacist to enforce their personal moral views in contradiction to medical needs and advice. And the former prevents pharmacists from caring for a patient's medical needs. Sounds like he agrees with you on that there, Liz. Definitely. So there are some real um, impacts. This thing could get signed into law. It did pass out of the Missouri legislature. That's House Bill 2149. We will keep an eye on what happens on that. Liz, real quick question here. Have you heard about other states doing this same thing? Yes, it's actually become really common. Um, I know Tennessee introduced a bill. I'm not sure um, which other states, but it does seem to be something that's taking off. Hmm. So here's a movement around the country. Um, Liz Chiarello, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your insight. Thank you for having me. Today's episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This episode was mixed and edited by Avery. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. 
understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.